Exodus 2. Uh, we'll bounce back and forth. While you're finding that, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, continue to pray for us. We, we went back over to Northside Apartments yesterday uh, and had a second visit and had some good visits. Uh, had some people that were a little, uh, you know, not exactly tickled to death that we were approaching them with the gospel. So um, just remember, <laughs> it was good though, it was good. Uh, just remember that in prayer. I think we still have that prayer list in the back and, and encourage you to join us uh, every Saturday at 8 o'clock. We've kind of designated that time for, uh, you know, if we have any that gather here, then we're going to pair off and go over there and just knock on doors and try to, you know, we've touched base and made notes. We've got those cards on the back that you see hanging on the, on the pegboard. We just kind of jotted down notes of, all right, we, we went to this apartment. These are the people that we talked to. This is the issue that they have going on. Um, you know, if some people said they didn't want to talk to us, then we'll keep praying for them and and carry on, but if some people have also expressed, you know, yeah, come back and check on me, and, and we prayed with a couple of people yesterday. It was just a really good time, and so I encourage you to lift that up in prayer and to join us as well. It's a great training ground for our youth if you want to drop them off, and uh, it just prepares us. We want to be a church that has a heart for missions, and that's here and abroad, and there's no better training ground than, than right here in our own backyard. Uh, so I want to encourage you to pray for that and join us. Uh, secondly, uh, we desire to be a church that fellowships together. I know we've got some new faces in here this morning. We have a meal after, after I get done, after you bear through listening to me. We have a meal. It's pretty good food, and so we want to encourage you to stay and join us. There's plenty, uh, I guarantee. So with that said, let's, let's get into Hebrews chapter 11. And just the last time I was up here, we looked at 10, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 39, and kind of compared what the author was showing us there in light of what he had taught for the first nine chapters of Hebrews. And, and we saw that chapters one through nine of Hebrews, the author presents the doctrine of Christ. This is what you need to know about Jesus Christ. And he says, with knowledge of what I just told you, we were challenged with the idea that our lives should be separate and distinct, and it should be marked in three unique ways. So if you weren't here, as, as Christians, knowing what we know about Christ, our, our life should be marked in three unique ways. We're to draw near to God with a pure heart and full assurance of faith. So we're to draw near to God with a pure heart. Secondly, we're to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. All right? And that hold fast is like a clinging, a desperately clinging to don't let go of it. Don't waver. And last, we talked about the importance of coming together in order to encourage each other and love one another. Um, and all three of those are carried out by faith. They're to, we're to be rooted in faith and not swayed, right? We're to not change course. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, okay, that's us together, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, that's us, until we attain the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, that's Jesus, to mature manhood. So we're to be working towards maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be presented just like Christ. So that we may no longer be children, I want you to hear this, tossed to and fro by the waves. We're not to be tossed back and forth. All right? We're to cling to our faith and not waver. All right? We're not to be carried about by the wind, by every doctrine and everything that we hear that we think, oh, that sounds really good. We're not to be carried back and forth between that. We're to know what we know and cling to it. Okay? That's, that's the whole point. That's what Paul talks about. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And he doesn't leave us guessing. We talked about this. He doesn't leave us guessing as to what faith is. In verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen yet. So this is a certainty of things that will be, 
even though we can't see them today. So a certainty of things that will be fully confident of things that will be, even though we can't see them right now. And he says, that's hard. That's hard. But he knows it's hard. And so he provides this chapter 11 that we've been walking through for the past few weeks to encourage us that although this faith is really hard, it's doable. It's achievable. And he lists all these individuals in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that had valid and rational reasons not to persevere in their faith to fall back to their previous ways, but they didn't. They stayed true to their faith. So the author's saying, listen, it's hard, but it's doable. And I want you to take note of all of these names in chapter 11 because you can learn from them. That's why they're there. That's why I wrote that chapter, so you could learn from them. And Dale took us through a few of those names last week, and this week we're going to continue by looking at one in particular, and that's the example of Moses that we find in verses 23 through 29. So let's look at that. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt he was looking to the reward by faith he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible by faith he kept the passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them by faith the people crossed the red sea as on dry land but the egyptians when they attempted to do the same were drowned before we really dive into this i want to remind you of just some context that will help us better understand what's going on Okay, so remember that the book of Hebrews is written to Jews, and specifically it's written to believing Jews, all right? Jews who no doubt understood the Mosaic Law. They had spent their whole life learning about the Mosaic Law. And now Christ comes on the scene, and the apostles are speaking a lot about faith. They're saying, believe in Christ and place your faith in Him. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, we see this great emphasis on faith. So I want you to understand, think about this. When you see this, you can understand how there's potential maybe for this Jewish community to be confused. I've spent my whole life talking about the law, focusing on the law. And now all of a sudden you're talking to me about faith. So I'm confused, right? Is this, is this something new? Because it sure sounds like something new, is it? I need some clarity. I, I imagine that's a real question that was asked by real Jews and our passage today, this author of Hebrews is presenting his answer to that question. He's making this case that salvation was never provided through the law, but instead it's always provided by faith. Okay, and he wants these Jews that he's writing to to understand this. And in order to make this point, the author presents the perfect case study. This is a case study, and our subject is Moses. He presents the perfect case study in Moses because remember who Moses is. All of these Jews have no doubt placed Moses on this really high pedestal, right? He's the man that's equated with the law. It's called the Mosaic Law, right? And so if this author can prove that Moses lived by faith, then these Jews are going to come to understand that faith is nothing new, but it's how I'm called to live. And that's where I'm going to find my salvation. That's the whole point of why he's talking about Moses right here. So think about, I want you to remember that diagram if you were here that I drew a, a couple weeks ago on the board. And it, and it showed, as we walk through the first nine chapters, this is who Jesus is. 
And if you understand who Jesus is, now you're, you're, you've come to this fork in the road and you're forced to make a decision. You can pretend that you're not going to make a decision, but you're going to make one. Like, there's no not making a decision. There's a fork in the road and you have to make a decision. You're in a position where you have to make a choice. That's what the author in chapter 10 is telling us. And now in chapter 11, he comes and he presents Moses. And it's almost like, it seems like it's jumping off the page when I'm studying this week. It's almost like the author is saying, just as I, remember the last chapter? Just as I charged you to make a choice, Moses had to make a choice too. Moses' life was marked by a choice. And that choice demonstrated his faith. So here's the main idea of this morning. If you only catch a couple of things, catch this. Genuine saving faith is selective. And it's rooted in the fear of God and not a fear of man. I want to say that one more time. Genuine saving faith is selective. It's rooted in a fear of God and not a fear of man. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, what does that mean? I'm fairly confident that there's a large number of people here this morning that maybe have attempted to wrestle with that verse and really don't understand what it's saying. Am I supposed to be scared of God? Is that what it's saying? Fear in this context is much broader than what we recognize, okay? It does include being afraid. God is in control. He's the creator. I'm the created. Yes, I should fear him in the sense of being afraid because I can, he can choose to not allow me to take my next breath, okay? So there is an aspect of that there, but it's more than that. It also conveys this idea of awe, of reverence, of worship, of allowing him to control me instead of me control me, of in a trust. It's a need of so you could almost read Proverbs 9 10 and, and say, a need of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as we go through this life, we're faced with two choices. I can have a need of God, a fear of God, or I can have a need of man. What does God say about me? What does man say about me? Which one do I allow to have more sway in my life? Which one dictates the choices that I make? Genuine faith is selective. And it's going to make the choice that I'm going to allow what God thinks of me to matter more than what man thinks of me. And I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to live it. My actions are going to, are going to demonstrate which one of those I'm clinging to. All right? That's kind of what the author is saying here. I want to show you three, three passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that kind of prove the point. Deuteronomy 30, 19. And this is Moses speaking to the people about the covenant. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. The right way, the wrong way. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Right? There's a choice there to be made. A choice between life and a choice between death. Joshua twenty four fifteen. This is Joshua and he says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. A choice. There's a choice whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land who you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, I'm going to make the choice and I'm going to have a fear of the Lord. 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came near to all the people. This is a great passage for you to study this week. There's some homework. It's really good. But Elijah comes near to the people and he's, he's, he's just pleading to them. How long are you going to go limping between two different opinions? He's like, make a decision. You're bouncing back and forth. I'm listening to man. I'm worshiping idols. I come back and I come to God. Now I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Make a decision. This is exactly what we see in Moses' life. Moses demonstrates, he's got a faith that's demonstrated by his choices. 
Okay? So let's look at the story of Moses. And I think I want to show you a couple of unique things here and maybe cause you to want to dive a little bit deeper into what's going on. So let's go back to Exodus 2 and let's look at Moses. The first 10 verses. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. So we're talking about baby Moses here. When she could hide him no longer, she took him took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him now the daughter of pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it when she opened it she saw the child and behold the baby was crying she took pity on him and said this is the one this is one of the hebrew children Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, many of us in here know this story of baby Moses, right? This order had gone out for all the Hebrew baby boys to be killed because the leadership of Egypt now viewed all the Hebrews who were multiplying rapidly, viewed them as a threat. If they turn on us, we're in trouble. So we're going to kill all the baby boys. Moses' mother can't hide him any longer. She gets to this point where she's hiding him. She's like, I can't do this anymore. They're going to find him. So I've got to do something. She places him in a basket in the river, and he's found by the daughter of Pharaoh, only to be returned to his mother. It's fascinating. If you want to see God's providence at work, this is a great example. All right, But there's a few things in this story that I think we just glance over at times, and in doing so, we miss a lot of meaning. All right, In verse 2, Moses, the baby Moses is, is referenced as a fine child, or maybe your Bible says a beautiful child. Okay, This goes beyond... An understanding of, oh, that's a cute baby. That's my baby's cute. All right, this is not Facebook, right? But we're, this is what we think of because that's how our society operates, right? Look at this baby. Oh, it's beautiful. That's not what's going on here, all right? What, what's missed here is this idea that there's something significant about this child. He was exceptional, and they knew it from the start. It conveys this idea that God is going to use this child, all right? It's not just that he was the prettiest baby of all the Hebrews. God is going to use this child. All right? The second thing is, Moses was given to his birth mother for a time to be nursed. Right? Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby. Oh, I'd like to have that baby, but I can't nurse him. All right? So here just conveniently happens to be Moses' sister. Ah, I can go find a lady if you want. Go do it. Takes it back to mom. So Moses goes back to his mother for a time to be nursed. All right? It says, when the child grew older, when Moses grew older, he was taken back to Pharaoh's daughter. What does that mean? How long was this time period when the child grew older? What are we talking about here? Here's the truth. We don't know, right? But in doing some research, general, general thought, a couple different things, general thought was the, the average span of time for weaning a child was three years. Okay, But there's also a thought in the Jewish community that he wasn't just weaned off of physical milk, but he was weaned of spiritual milk, of God's milk. 
which was an average of five to six years, which conveys this idea that Moses' mother would have told him about God, would have told him about the Hebrew people, would have told him about the Abrahamic promise. Right? Enough time for him to understand that, and then he's taken back. There's even some people, and I couldn't find a lot of evidence for this. It makes a lot of sense, but I couldn't find a lot of evidence for it for study for yourself. But there's some people that argue that maybe he was perhaps even like 10 to 12 years old before he goes back. Okay? The truth is we don't know. But what do we know? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 7. You don't have to hop over there unless you just want to, but you can write this down. Acts 7, 17 through 22. This is Stephen right before he gets stoned. In Stephen's sermon, he references Moses. And he says, But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was significant in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. So what we know from what Stephen says is that Moses was instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed, right? But Stephen continues in verse 23 and says, when he was 40 years old, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. This appears to tell us that he was with his mother long enough to be taught the Hebrew faith, to have an understanding of who God is, and perhaps even this idea that God was going to use him in a mighty way. So imagine all this time that Moses is growing up in Pharaoh's court this is in the back of his mind. He knows who the... I mean, think about that. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. How does he know it's his brothers? How does he know he's a Hebrew? Why does he know... Even if he knew that, why did he care? There had to be something that his mother placed in him, this understanding, this knowledge, that lingered with him this whole time that he's in Pharaoh's court. Then we get to decision time. Exodus 2, 11 to 15. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, the Hebrew people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me just as you killed this Egyptian? So Moses knows the game's up, you know. He knows this guy saw, somebody saw me the words out. So Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Think about Hebrews chapter 1, 9 and 10. And compare that to with Moses and his Hebrew upbringing. Moses in this situation, here's what you know about God. Here's what you know about your people. And here's what you know about the Abrahamic promise. It's burning in his heart for 40 years. And he gets to this point where he's got to make a choice. He sees his people being mistreated. He can choose between Egypt or he can choose between his people. And Moses chooses his people. 
Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What, is, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? It means faith is demonstrated by choice. What the author of Hebrews shows us is that Moses acted on faith. And in doing so, we're shown three things that faith rejects, that true faith rejects. All right, so I want you to see these. I got them on the board here. But true faith, first, it rejects worldly fame and position. If you look at verse 24... It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's the prince of a world power. He's got fame and power at his fingertips. And yet he turns his back on it. All throughout scripture, we're taught that believers are to die to self. That this life is not about our glory or our elevation, but about bringing glory to God. You think about the words of John the Baptist. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. It doesn't get any simpler than that. This isn't how the world thinks. But true faith will reject worldly thinking. Right? Moses has got all the power in the world at his fingertips. And he turns his back on it. In verse 25, it says, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Every pleasure imaginable would have been within Moses' reach as a prince of Egypt. The best comparison that I can make, just thinking about this, is, is the entertainment industry that our culture is enamored with. They've got all the desires in the fing- at their fingertips. And how often do you, you think, I think about, especially child stars, you think about kids that grow up in the entertainment industry that are 12, 13, 14, they're on TV, what happens when they turn 18 to 20? They go off the rails, man. They've got all of the worldly pressures at their fingertips. This is the same situation that Moses is in. He's got the same opportunity that those people have. But Moses walked away. Think about the word pleasure, right? Pleasure means it feels good. That's what pleasure means. And not all pleasure is evil or bad, but Scripture here defines that these pleasures as sinful. Moses has all these sinful pleasures at his fingertips. And while it may feel good or be rewarding at the time, it's fleeting and it's going to lead to destruction. And what true faith does is true faith rejects the temporary feel-good that destroys in favor of what God says leads to life. And that's what Moses demonstrates here. In verse 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Egypt was a powerhouse. It's a world power. With all the riches and the treasures that you can imagine. And as a prince, Moses was wealthy. He did, there wasn't a want in his life. And instead of clinging to that, he recognized where true value and true treasure lies with God. And true faith recognizes this. Wealth is not inherently evil, but Jesus did say that it's, it's pretty dang hard for a rich man to enter heaven. Because there's a lot of trappings involved. And true faith doesn't place wealth at the top of the priority list. It's not chasing after wealth. It's not clinging to wealth. It says, Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There's a comparison here between Moses and Christ, but what's it mean? Moses lived several centuries before Christ, so how does that even make sense? How can you compare the two? Right? Well, the author is noting that just as Christ left 
everything. Christ is seated in the heavenlies, and he yet descended to nothing. The humble form of a servant, low as you can be. And Moses did the same. He went from the top of the world, everything at his fingertips, power, wealth. And he became a representative of a lowly nation of slaves that nobody gave the time of day. And here's the crazy thing. This was okay with Moses. It's okay with Moses. Why? Because of his faith. He had a faith that was rooted in the fear of God and not in the fear of man. He didn't place a premium on his status among other men. He didn't place a premium on sinful pleasures. He didn't place a premium on wealth. He placed a premium on the promises of God. He exchanged what he had for what he didn't have. All because he was looking to the reward. It's exactly what it says. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth because he was looking to the reward. He knew the promise that was made to Abraham and he believed that God was faithful. In Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We, we misunderstand this too. By faith he left Egypt. What do we think? Well, he walked away. But there's more to it here. The left is misunderstood. It's better understood as he renounced Egypt. He turned his back on it. It's not just he went to another town. I'm going to leave here today and go to my house. It's different. Like he turned his back on Egypt. He said, I renounce you. I don't want anything to do with you. I've been chosen to do something else. And he believed in doing so that God was faithful. Hebrews 10, 35-36. I want you to remember this from a couple of weeks ago in chapter 10. It says, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. He's pleading with these Jewish Christians. Don't throw away your confidence, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You are called to persevere. It's the same for Moses. So I want to make sure that I go out of my way this morning to help you understand that Moses was faithful. This is not just a snapshot. This is not just a, well, he had a really good day right here. That's, that's, not, that's not what's going on. He was a man of deep faith that persevered. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Exodus 33. And in Exodus 33, you know, Moses has come down from the mountain. Aaron has helped the people build an idol. Moses is flipping out. God's flipping out. It's bad news. And Moses goes back up to basically beg for mercy. And the Lord says, this is Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you're a stiff-necked people. God's saying, I'm a God of promises. I'm faithful to my promise. I'm going to send an angel, but you're a wicked people. And I'm going to send an angel... And I'm going to give you this land because I told you I would. And I'm going to drive out all your enemies. And I'm going to give you all the wealth that you can imagine. Because that's what I said I was going to do. But I ain't going with you. 
Because if I go with you, I'm going to consume you. Because I can't stand to be around you. And in verse 15 and 16, we see Moses. This is how we know Moses is a faithful man. And then he understands the, the power and the presence of God. And he understands that the fear of God is more important than the fear of man. In 15 and 16, the Lord says to Moses, Depart, go up from here. You're the people. I want you to leave. But, but Moses says, If you ain't going, we ain't going. Because what's the point? How is it that people know that we're distinct? What is it that makes us set apart? It's not the wealth. It's not the lack of enemies. It's not the land. It's the fact that we're your people. That's what makes us distinct. It's your power and presence. That's what we desire. Not, not wealth. Not what the world thinks. What you think. Moses says, I don't care about position. I don't care about worldly desires. I don't care about wealth. All I care about is being in your presence and your glory. True faith is selective. It's decisions like this. That's, that's true faith lived out. And the author is simply painting a picture for us here in Hebrews. He's saying, look, here's the example. Here's the example. Follow it. And so now the next big question that we have to ask is this. So I know that faith, that true faith rejects these worldly things. I get it. It can see past the here and the now into the what is to be. But how do I do this? What does it require of me? How can I demonstrate a healthy fear of God? Three things that true faith is rooted in. Three things that true faith is, is rooted in a fear of God requires these things. One, you've got to trust in the sovereignty of God. You've got to trust His plan. Think about Moses' parents. Think about what they knew and think about the situation they were in and what they had to do with that little baby. They had, to, they had to trust in God's plan. Think about the simple things that Moses did. They weren't so simple. He had to trust in the plan of God completely. Not halfway, completely. The second thing is you have to trust in God's provision, which means his way, not your way. Moses goes from everything to nothing. Now, how many of us would be guilty of stopping and saying, there's got to be a better way to do this? I don't, I, surely I don't have to give all this up. There's got to be a better way. But Moses trusting God's way, not his way. Think about the Passover. Have you ever stopped to simply think about the Passover? You want me to kill this lamb and wipe its blood on this door? Are you serious? Like, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. And you're telling me that if I don't do this, that my kid's going to die? I mean, that's the honest conversation that's going on by beneath the verses that you're reading. I mean, what would you think if somebody came up and told you today, I want you to go out and kill this animal in the back and I want you to wipe this blood over your doorpost? What's the neighbor going to think? There's the fear of God and there's the fear of man. I can't do that because my neighbor's going to look at me and think I've lost my mind. Or, this is what God said to do and I fear him so I'm going to do it and I don't care what my neighbor thinks. The third thing you've got to do is trust in God's promises. Think about the situation that Moses found himself in. He's royalty. 
He's royalty. And he turns his back on it. He doesn't just leave. He renounces it and turns his back on it. And there's a manhunt and a warrant out for Moses' head. And yet, what does he do? God, I've chosen you, Moses. You got the wrong guy. No, I don't. I've chosen you. Go back. Okay. So he walks back into the fire. You've got to trust in the promises of God to do that. Think about Moses after they leave. They're out in the wilderness. Here comes the Egyptian army. Uh, I mean, think, imagine if the dang U.S. Army's after you. I mean, that's what it is. This is, a, this is a powerhouse. This is a world power. And here comes the army, and they push you back up against the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. And Moses stands firm the whole time and knows. He tells the people, this is what's going to go down. There's going to be dry land to walk on. He's trusting in the promises of God when nothing else provides any evidence that that's the case. And then what we just read in Exodus 33, where he comes, he pushes back. Think of the boldness. We're supposed to be bold in our faith. Think about the boldness of Moses when he pushes back on, on God and says, we're not going because I want you. That's trusting in God's promises. So throughout all of this, what the author's saying is faith, faith isn't new. I just demonstrated to you through Moses. Moses demonstrated faith. It wasn't the law. It was faith. Faith's been the ticket to salvation all along. And Moses was forced to make a decision. He could trust in his own doing. He could trust in earthly things. Or he could trust in the promises of God. It's the same promise that God made to Abraham. And that promise is Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation through his work on the cross. Moses didn't know the name of Jesus, but he knew about the promise. He placed his faith in the promise, and that required action. This made me think of John 20, 29. Jesus says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who haven't seen me and have believed. Now we can look at... uh, Study the Bible on your own. But what that says to me is, you can look at that verse one of two ways. The first way is to look back and think, man, what faith Moses had. And then you can look at us in our current situation and say, uh, we do know the name. We do know the name. So we better recognize. And that's the point that the author's making. And it applies to us, maybe even more so, because we do know the name of Jesus, right? We're on the back end of the promise. We've seen the promise partially fulfilled because Jesus came and died on the cross so that we can come to the Father. And there's going to be a day where we see it fully fulfilled when he comes and restores everything and makes all things new. It call, but it calls on us to make a decision. And it's a decision that can only be made by leaning on faith. And it's a faith that's confident in what is to come. So just like Moses, we have to ask the question, are we willing to lay down what we have for what we don't yet have? Are we willing to trust in God's sovereignty, his provision, and his promise? All because we're confident in and looking to the reward. Remember, that's what faith is. Full confidence and assurance in what's coming, even though I can't see it right now. We're all called to make a decision. Maybe today that means, for some people in here, maybe that means taking yourself off the throne. Step away from the idea that life's all about you or what others of the world thinks about you. 
and recognize Jesus as your king. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's, that's master. I mean, go ahead and replace Lord with master. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is master and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one is confesses and saved. If that's you this morning, that's a decision that can be made. And we'd love to help you make it. But there's probably another group in here too. And maybe, maybe that means today you've placed your faith in Christ. But you recognize, I've got to reevaluate. Where, where do I place my emphasis? What do the decisions that I make reveal about my heart? Scripture makes it clear. True faith is selective. It's rooted in a fear of God and it produces a life of devotion. King Jesus. So both as individuals and as a church, may we be faithful and persevere. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, I pray today that we be a faithful people. Lord, allow, allow us to really assess our, assess our life and where we are and to bow before you. Lord, I pray that this church would be a faithful people and that we would cling to you and not the ways of the world. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together as we eat and fellowship. And Lord, I pray if anyone is sitting there on the edge this morning Lord I pray that they would give their heart to you forgive us for where we fall short in Jesus name I pray amen make sure you stay and eat it's good stuff